The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Someone says, wow, those people can worship. Wow. And if you have a superficial view of God and an elevated view of yourself, you are set up to worship yourself and not God. That is what's wrong with all man-centered preaching. If someone says, wow, those people can worship. What comes to your mind? What do you immediately think of about those people who were just identified as, wow, those people can worship? Usually we talk about the volume of their singing, emotion that they exhibit, passion that we see from them, or the style that we see from them. Usually we're referring to these, these externals, or when we say, wow, that really was spirit-filled worship. Again, volume, emotion, external experiences, external appearances. But is that what worship is? Welcome to the island. I am your host, Alvis Samuel. And as you can see, we are going to get into a subject that deals with worship. And I did not, honestly, I did not think this is this was a hot topic, but apparently it actually is. And people have their own interpretation on what worship is, but I'm going to go to the source. And see what the source actually says and we're going to go through this bit by bit piece by piece so we can understand what worship truly is and as you heard in the very beginning of all of this i was reading out of the book of john chapter 4 when jesus was speaking to the samaritan the samaritan woman and he was telling her god is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. That's big. And I think we in the United States, we have missed those two things. We have missed what those two things actually mean. What we have done inside the United States is that we've made praise and worship, which is just the singing portion of going to church, we have made praise and worship nothing but a concert. A concert filled with lights, fog machines, these laser actions going in the sky and in the, in, in the, on the roof. We have made praise and worship of God a spectacle in the natural realm. However, Jesus spoke on this. So is worship really something natural? In a sense, yes, it is. However, that is not what God is looking for. Jesus said he is looking for the true worshipers who worship in spirit 
and in truth because God himself is a spirit. So we are now understanding that it's not what we are actually doing inside the churches of the United States of America and, and, and frankly all around the world, basically. It is not a singing portion that we think it is. So that brings the question then, what is true worship? To get a glimpse of what that actually looks like, I went all the way back to 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. You will see when you read those two verses that King Josiah, he decides that he's going to gather the entire congregation, the entire nation of Israel. That includes all the prophets, all the priests, all the people, rich and poor, everyone. And he is going to make a decree. And in this decree, he is, in short, going to restore true worship. What exactly does he do? Well, in verse 3, it says this, Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the field of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained and burned incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image of the house of the Lord to the brook Kedron, outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kedron, and ground it to ashes, and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual boots of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the woman wove hangings for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Gibah to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priest of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. 
That was verses 3 through 10 of 2 Kings chapter 23. Now, you can see here at just the very beginning, a person to be a true worshiper must know what God says, must know his law, his commandments, the Ten Commandments, some would say, even what is written that was given to Moses by God. You must know this stuff to be considered a true worshiper. And then on top of that, now comes in the acts. And these acts aren't acts of singing, shouting, or anything like that, playing music, or anything of such. But these acts are acts of tearing down and completely destroying everything that God is against. Everything that he is against that is in a person's life. Getting rid of it, tearing it down, breaking it, burning it, whatever you must do to destroy it, you must take it down. Because God does not want something in his place. And where is God supposed to be placed? He is supposed to be placed above all things, all people, everything. He is above it all. So, in other words, God must be number one in a person's life. So now we have two things that we can see now what will make a person a true worshiper in spirit and in truth. That is, you must know his commandments. You must keep them. Also, you better get rid of anything that will distract you from God. Get rid of anything that you place above him because he has to be and he must be number one in your life if you want to be a true worshiper. So let's keep going. And he defiled Tepheth, which is in the valley of the sun of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Molech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there, and threw their dust into the brook Kedron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtaroth. The abomination of the Sidians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled their places with the bones of men. We're now seeing that he is now searching everywhere to find anything that was dishonorable disrespectful, anything that was an abomination, 
anything that was sinful, anything that was perverted, he went around and found everything that went against God and destroyed it. That brings us to the third part. A true worshiper will search themselves and get rid and destroy anything that is disruptive, that is corrupted, that is perverted in them. See, you can see there is a destruction that must take place in a person just to be qualified to be a true worshiper. And as you can see so far, no songs have been sung. No music has been made or played. No instruments have been strung up and no one's playing anything. This is the complete destruction of everything that goes against God. Getting rid of it all. Not just throwing it out, but destroying it. Burning it all down and breaking it and burning it to ash. That's just three things that a true worshiper will do. What else does a true worshiper have to do? Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebet, who made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place he broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder, and burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaim these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. So, let's stop right there again. So the inner search to destroy things got down to the bones of these things. Nothing was left. Everything was burned and ground to powder. Everything. There was zero evidence of any abominations to God left. However, he did leave one person's bones, and these were the bones of the man of God who proclaimed that this stuff must go. Those were the only things that was left was his bones and the prophet of Samaria. So the only thing that God will allow are the words of his, the people who speak his word. You can keep that only because they speak the truth. Now we're getting somewhere. They spoke the truth, God's truth. Not your truth, not somebody else's truth, not 
something that could be true or none of that, but they spoke God's truth. And because they spoke God's truth, it was allowed to stay. So now you see what it has to be left in you. What is only left in you to become a true worshiper after the destruction of everything, everything that's abominable to God, that's perverted, that is corrupted, you get rid of it all, you destroy it all, you burn it, you get, just get rid of it all. The only thing that now is left is the truth, God's truth, the truth that was spoken. Through the man of God and his prophet. They spoke the truth. The truth went through them. The truth that came from God went through them. And because they spoke this truth, it was allowed to stay. So again, now we are seeing the truth entering. The truth must be in you. It has to be in you just to be considered a true worshiper. If the truth is not in you and it does not abide in you, and this is God's word. So you're seeing now, this is number four, the fourth characteristics of a person who is a true worshiper. Again, you must know God's commandments, his laws. That's number one. Number two, you have to get rid of everything, everything that is an abominable to God. You must get rid of it all. Number three, all the abominations, all of the people who did abominable things that God detest, pervertedness, corruption. All of that stuff, they got to go. God does not allow that stuff at all. Nothing has been said about music. And now number four, the truth must abide in you. People must speak God's truth and it has to abide in you. These are the attributes. These are the characteristics of a person trying to be, who is wanting to truly be a true worshiper in spirit and in truth. So let's keep going. This is now chapter 19, or not chapter 19, but verse 19. Now, Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger, and did and he did to them according to all the deeds he had done to Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. Before we go on, this is something that everybody needs to understand. Again, there are people who are in your life. They don't care. They do not care to serve God. And they are there not just to not serve God, but to speak perversion, 
corruption and demonic things into you. A lot of them do it very suddenly. Not suddenly, but subtly. They do it very quietly. They're secretive about it. It sneaks in. And as you can see, what this king, King Josiah did, he got rid of them too. They were no longer allowed. Honestly, they were no longer allowed to live. And then after he got rid of all of those people, and see, you have to understand, you can't get rid of those people who do these things in your life if you don't know the truth. You have to understand that. So after the truth was found in them by, this, by the bones of the man of God and by the prophet, after they found the truth, they were able to get rid of the people who were secretly serving other gods and giving sacrifices and everything to other gods. And he didn't just say, get out of here. He killed them. I'm not telling people to go out there and commit murder. That's not what I'm saying. You must get rid of them. They cannot be in your life at all. You cannot have fellowship with them. Well, some of y'all say, well, didn't Jesus sit with sinners? Yes, he did. But when they left the table from Jesus's presence, they left changed. They left believing in God, believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That's how they left. As you can see, these people did not leave that way. When the king came across them, he had to kill them because they were not going to change. So you must understand when you come across a person, you must know the truth and the truth will show itself to a person. And if a person does not change after the truth shows itself, they got to go. Now we also see after all of this, the king returns to Jerusalem. In other words, he goes home. He gets rid of everything. He has the commandments, gets rid of everything, all the idols and the abominations and the corruption and the perversion, gets rid of it all, gets rid of the people who want, who want to keep doing this stuff, gets rid of them. He has the truth in him now. Now he returns home. He returns to Jerusalem. Now you're seeing what would home be, the body of Christ. So now let's keep going. What does he do after he returns to Jerusalem. This is verse 21. Then the king commanded all the people saying. Keep the Passover to the Lord your God. As it is written in this book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held. Since the days of the judges who judged Israel. Nor in all the days of the kings of Israel. And the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums, the spiritists, the household gods, and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Micaiah the priest found 
in the house of the Lord. Now, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with, this is important, all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. So as you can see, he returns home. And when he returns home, he gets to his house, he gets to his land in Jerusalem. He does the exact same thing in his house. Gets rid of everything. The mediums, the spiritist people, gets rid of them all. Gets rid of those who worship idols. He gets rid of the idols in the house. The images in the house. Everything. All images that gave honor and gave praise that included the sun, the constellations. What does this sound like right now in today's world? Astrology. People walk around saying, what is your sign? God is saying no one cares about that. I do not care about that. Get rid of it. That doesn't matter. Josiah did all of this. King Josiah got rid of it all. Anything that was around him, he got rid of it. That did not give glory to God, first and foremost. And then he returns to his house and does the same thing. So now we see what the attributes of a true worshiper does. So it's not just going inside the church and singing songs. It's getting rid of all idols, all images, getting rid and getting those who refuse to get rid of this stuff, getting rid of them out of your life, getting rid of all perversion of all sorts. It's not just homosexuality, but perversion in the sense of adultery, fornication, watching pornographic images. He gets rid of it, all of it. Everywhere he goes, it could not be by him. He got rid of it all because he wanted to be a true worshiper of God. And he knew the truth, and he heard the truth, and once he heard the truth, he let it stay in him. He let it stay. And he returns home and does the exact same thing. And then you see, after he cleans and clears his house of this stuff, you see that he turns and gives all of himself to God, all his heart. All his soul, all his might was given to God. Everything that was in him was God. Now, that's just King Josiah. Way before King Josiah, there was King David. And everyone says King David was a true worshiper. He sought after God. He worshiped God in the exact same way. With all of his might with all of his soul, with all of his heart. But one thing that you will understand, it wasn't the singing, wasn't the playing of music that King David did that made him a true worshiper. What made him a true worshiper was the simple fact that every move he made, he sought God's approval before he made a move. I'm not going to say, let's, let's, let's take that back. 
Because there were some moves that he made that he did not seek God's approval first, but then he sought God's approval after he made those moves when he realized that he did not hear from God. And so he went to God and repented. So you see David being a true worshiper, King David being a true worshiper, he would not move unless he heard from God to tell him the direction he needed to go. And if he did move, not even if, because like I said, he did sometimes do that. So when he did move, before God spoke to him, he 100% pulled a 180 and turned around and then sought God's forgiveness. And he would not move until he got God's forgiveness. A true worshiper. A true worshiper has nothing in their life. Nothing in their embodiment. Nothing in their own house that contradicts anything that God has commanded. And everything that's in them is the truth of God. His truth. Not their truth. His truth. Everything in them is his truth, his words. And they give God every bit of them, of themselves. Mind, heart, body, soul, all of that stuff. That's what they give God. Their might, their heart, their soul. They seek God. They seek his advice. They seek everything of God before they do anything. They quiet everything around them. They don't move until God tells them to move. A true worshiper. Now this brings me to another topic. And it's a question that I asked. I honestly, I asked someone the other day. And this question was, why in the United States, basically in the Western Hemisphere, I can't speak on other parts of the world, but why, at least over here, we don't actually see real prophets anymore. Is it because the age of prophets is over? No, that's not the case. And then I backed that question up and said, before you answer that, what do you really believe a true prophet is? And in short, their answer was basically a person who can tell the future. And then I responded by saying, you know, I've honestly thought the exact same thing for a very long time. Actually, all the way up, probably until about a couple of days ago, I was thinking the same thing. And then I was starting to dive more into the Bible a little bit deeper. And then it dawned on me. You know, in the Bible, a true prophet could do miraculous things. They didn't just, they weren't just able to tell somebody what's about to happen, and it actually happens, but they could call fire down from heaven. They could stop the rain. They can make it rain. They could, honestly, they were, they were able to, they killed a lot of people. When it came to a prophet, they were feared amongst the people. No one wanted to cross them wrong. It was like looking into the eyes of a superhero. Like Batman or Superman, you don't want to cross them wrong. They'll hurt you. You cross them the wrong way, it's a done deal. And that's how these prophets work. They weren't just able to, you know, tell you your dreams and then 
interpret your dreams for you, tell you what's the future. Because at the same time, you had mediums, you had witchcrafts, you had witches, you had soothsayers, you had all of that stuff. But what set a prophet apart? The truth, for one. For two, they also were true worshipers of the living God. They did not speak. They did not move. They did nothing until God spoke to them. And on top of that, they had nothing in their life that was an abomination to God. And then when a prophet did start inviting and accepting these carnal and sinful and abominational things inside their life, they lost the gift of God to be a prophet. Some of them were just killed. Prophets could do miraculous work. Moses, what did he do? We all know it. Separated the sea. He wasn't the only one to do that. We make a lot of emphasis on Moses doing that, but he wasn't the only one to do that. Elijah, the prophet Elijah did the same thing. His successor, Elisha, he did the same thing. I believe in total, I'm forgetting one, but I believe in total there was four that I know of, at least off of the top of my head, that did the same thing. There was another one who, who parted the sea with the rock. Twelve of them, actually, if I'm not mistaken. One for each tribe, so the people could go across. But to have this gift, to be able to heal the sick, truly heal the sick, to call fire down from heaven, to stop the rain, to make it rain, to stop the enemies of God, to be able to do all of this stuff. You have to be a true worshiper of God. So that brings us back to the very first question. Do we in the United States of America truly know what it means to be a true worshiper of God? Or are we just playing music and having a 30-minute concert? To appease the likes of men. And one last thing we all must understand. And we all must know this. To truly get this right. We all must know not what the truth is. But who is the truth. In the book of Psalms it says that the truth is your buckler and shield. So who is the truth. The truth is. The thing that Jesus said is upon the earth that he sent to help those who believe in him, to help his saints. The truth is the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit does not dwell within you, does not fall upon you, you are not qualified at all to be a true worshiper of God. And it dawns on me as I speak that. The church inside the United States has it all backwards. What we do inside the United States, in the church of the United States, all the churches all around this country, is we have announcements. We start church off with announcements. Then from there we go to singing songs, powerful songs with the lights and when we dim the lights and the, and the fog machines and all of that stuff. Then there's offering and then there's preaching the teaching of God's word, but we have it backwards. That's if we are even trying to attempt to do it right. Because what should really happen is 
you come in, you hear God's commandments, God's laws. And through those laws, you get convicted. And through that conviction, you start to do self-reflection. And then through self-reflection, you hear the preacher, the message from God. You hear the truth. And then after you hear that truth, the truth that comes from God through the preacher or whoever's teaching that day on your stage, you do an altar call. And then during that altar call, you repent of all those sins because you have been convicted. And then and then there's the celebration, the celebration, the music starts playing, people start singing and celebrating because through all of that. They find God's mercy, they find his grace, and they know it is upon them. And so they celebrate. Now you start singing, you start praising, you get louder. And then you understand where the strength of God comes in. Because through your praise and through the singing, you begin to feel joyful. And this joy comes from God. And we all know what the Bible says. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then from there, you are able to leave the sanctuary with the strength of God dwelling in you. Because now the truth also dwells in you. And now you can go out and defeat the enemies. We don't do that inside the church of the United States. We do it backwards. And that's if we even do it at all. We have to get this right. There will not be a revival if there is no conviction. And if there is no conviction, there will be no... That, that's because there are no true worshipers. And if there are no true worshipers, does the Holy Spirit actually dwell inside the United States? That would be a terrible thing to find out if... The truth is not in this country. Thank you for listening to the Island Podcast. I am your host, Alvis Samuel. Go ahead and go to A3S2, the island. Again, that's A3S2, the island on Rumble. And there you can see my awesome face. You can also find me at As the Island on Twitter. That is AS the Island on Twitter. And you'll see a lot of stories and everything, you know, contact me. Go ahead and communicate with me. Let's have a nice conversation there. I do answer back. And if you want to catch up on every previous episode, just go to rss.com forward slash podcast forward slash the island. Again, that's rss.com forward slash podcast forward slash the island. And you can catch up on every episode that I've done. Again. I am your host, Alvis Samuel, and thank you for listening to The Island Podcast.